This, this may be one of the most important messages I will ever give. How's that for a start? Because if I don't live up to it, it's like, I'm dead here, you know. But this message this morning is a reminder to all of us. And I think it's a wonderful Shabbat, the last Shabbat of 2018, uh, to have this reminder. I think it's a wonderful time to have this reminder before we supposedly make all of our New Year's resolutions. I think we need to get some things settled in our minds before we decide other things that we're going to do. And so this morning, as we finish the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, the title of this message is, For Your Sake. By the way, that's a capital Y. For your sake. Follow along with me as I read in Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up, delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Messiah who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Will you please say that verse with me? Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Let us all say heartily together, Amen. Amen. I want to remind you of two verses that are found in the book of John, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. You don't have to turn there. I just want you to listen with your heart, not just your ears. Then Yeshua said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I've heard that verse many, many times. I've heard it in church services. I've heard it in Messianic synagogue services. I've heard it from radio preachers. I've heard it quoted by believers. And the one thing that they remember about that verse is, the truth shall make you free. But there's a condition for the truth making you free. 
And that condition is that we abide in his word. Because his word is truth. And unless we abide in the truth, how can the truth make us free? I think it can't. And I don't know about you, but this message today is as much for me as it is for you. There is too much of my time, 24 hours of the day, that I am not abiding in the truth and the word of God, and therefore I am not free. I was hoping somebody would say amen, because then I wouldn't feel like I'm the only one here who doesn't spend enough time in God's word. See, in a way, we're all frogs. You know the story about the two kettles of water. One of them is boiling hot, and the other is just room temperature, but there's a little flame under it, and it's slowly getting hotter and hotter. And they throw a frog into the pot with the boiling hot water, and as soon as he hits the water, wow, or whatever frogs say when they realize they're in severe danger, ribbit, jumps right out of the water, right? But the one who's put into the pot with tepid water doesn't realize that there's danger. And the heat gets turned up slowly, 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 until every bit of life that's in that frog is boiled right out of them. And that's the world that we live in. A world where the heat is slowly being turned up and turned up and turned up. And dear ones, I'm afraid that many of us, too many of us, don't realize the heat that we're in. And so Paul asks this incredible question as he begins this section in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. What shall we say then to these things? What's the question you should be asking? What things? Well, I want to remind you of the things that he's told us in his word just in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. From Romans 8, verse 1 to verse 11, you can look at that entire section and and think of it in this way. The Spirit of God delivers us from the power of the flesh. We have been delivered from the power of the flesh, from the power of self-supported living, from the power of thinking we can do it all on our own. That's pretty amazing. What does Romans 8 verses 12 to verse 17 say? It says that through the Spirit we've been given sonship, not grandchildship, sonship, if you believe, if you have have claimed the Messiah as your life, as your sacrifice, you are now a son of God or daughter of God. And what does Romans 8, 15 to 22 say? I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong section. Romans 8, 12, or rather 18 to 30. The Spirit assures us future glory. We've been delivered from the power of flesh. We've been given sonship. We've been given the assurance of future glory. And then Paul asks the questions, what then shall we say to these things? And here's what most believers say. Well, let me consider that. How sad. 
That's a saying that comes from a frog in water where the temperature is slowly going up. You know what we should say? Paul answers it in the very next line. If God is for us, who can be against us? We need to remind ourselves of the fact of not only who we are or what we've been given, but dear ones, who's on our side? I had originally titled this message, What's Your Problem and Who's on Your Side? I figured that would be a little too much in your face. (laughs) But those are good questions to ask. What's your problem? Every month I got to struggle to get the rent payment. Every month, it seems like the money runs out before the month does. I can't stand growing old. My body doesn't do the things my brain tells it to do anymore. My child has walked away not only from the Lord, but from us. I have to deal with a boss who is crude, cruel, condescending, and just a regular son of a... What's your problem? Well, you know what the Lord says? If I'm on your side, who can be against you? How many of you, like me, at least weekly, suffer from self-doubt? You're not alone. That's why we need to remind ourselves continually who's got our back. His goodness and his mercy pursues us all the days of our lives. His blessings are new every morning. By his spirit, he's given us deliverance from the flesh, sonship, and a guarantee of future glory in heaven with him. If God is for us, dear ones, who can be against us? And then Paul continues in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. Do you sometimes read the scripture too fast? He, God, who did not spare his own son, Yeshua our Messiah. but delivered him up for us all. If that's true, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? This is, if you will, proof of our place in God's heart. I don't think anyone here has ever had to give up a child voluntarily for someone else. I'm sure there are a number of us here, including Tina and I, who have lost children. But can you imagine God giving up his own son? Part of creation for us. How many of you not only suffer from self-doubt, but feelings of not being valuable. Do you know how valuable you are? 
your value is equated to the death of God's own son. That's how much God loves us. We need to remember that on this last Shabbat of 2018. Verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It's God who determines who is righteous and who is not. It's God who determines what is right and what is wrong. Not your boss, not your neighbor, not your spouse, not your in-laws, not the television, not the news stations. No, God is the one who judges. God is the one who justifies. Whose voice are you listening to? On Thursday, on the way into work, I had a major meltdown pity party. I know none of you have ever had one of those. Lord, what am I doing with my life? Lord, why am I not doing enough? Lord, why am I not doing as much as other people? Lord, why don't I pay enough attention to you fill in the blank? And the Lord spoke very clearly and very softly to me. And he said this. You're right where I want you to be. Even if you don't think you're qualified, I'm the one who put you there. We all have gifts and I've given you some. Now use them and stop complaining. Whose voice are you listening to? Sometimes it's good to reminisce. Sometimes it's not so good to reminisce. But I remember back in the 1960s when the news came on three channels. (laughs) And it only came in the morning and in the evening. And we weren't bombarded with news that the news channels decide to choose, chosen news given to us not just 24-7, but 61, you know what that is? 60 minutes every hour, and 60-60, 60 minutes every second. We are bombarded with voices. Who are we listening to? How many of you used to follow me on Facebook, let's say a year ago? Used to get all my posts. I used to make lots of political comments. I don't make them anymore. Do you know why? I'm tired of listening to those voices. I'm tired of the debate. There's one voice I want to listen to. And that's the voice of my God. Because my God has proven his love for me. The news media haven't proven anybody's love for anybody except the sponsors who are paying for the ads on their stations. And I'm not talking about conspiratorial media, but I'm tired of hearing bad news. I really am. And it's not one side or another. It's just plain bad. Whose voice are we listening to? Verse 34, 
Who is he who condemns? It is Messiah who died, and furthermore also is risen, whom is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Whose voice are you listening to when the voice comes into your head and says, who do you think you are? Has anybody had that come to them? Who do you think you are doing this? Who do you think you are in this position? Who made you the rabbi? Well, I have news for you. That's not the voice of God. That's the voice of the enemy. Because the voice of the enemy condemns. The voice of God convicts. And you need to know the difference. Condemnation is telling you who you aren't and who you will never be. Conviction is telling you who you are and asking you to start acting like it again. Who is he who condemns? It is not God. There is no condemnation in Messiah Yeshua. But there is conviction, and we need to hear that voice. We need to abide in his word and abide in the word so that the voices around us can be treated like they should be treated and filed where they need to be filed. Can somebody please say amen? Paul continues in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? And then I found this very interesting. It's the first time I saw this in this section. He says, who, personal pronoun, but then he goes on to talk about things that are not personal. Because I think the who here is the one who directs the tribulation against us. Besides the fact that the world is just kind of rotten and we live in a world where bad things happen, there is a devil who will try to defeat us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or, so, or sword? Dear ones, circumstances do not determine the outcome of your life. Circumstances cannot separate us from the love of God. The love of God was displayed some 2,000 years ago on a cross on a hill in Jerusalem. That cannot change. We cannot change history. We cannot change the fact that God poured out his love through the death of his son so that we might be granted life and all things. And if that's true, who can separate us from the love of God? But he will try. I came to faith in May of 1992. Less than a month later, Scott Brown asked me to come with him to a church meeting and give my testimony in front of a church. I did a very good job, if I must say so myself. It was somewhere out in Prince George's County. And as we were coming back on Route 495, all of a sudden the devil spoke into my head, who do you think you are speaking in a church? 41 and a half years old, you led a debauched life, 
You were majorly into drugs until a month and a half ago. You're arrogant. You're stuck up. You're condescending. And here you are giving a testimony in front of a church. Who do you think you are? And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking this and I'm talking it kind of out loud. And Tina's looking at me, you know. And she said the smartest thing she could say, when we get home, we're calling Scott. (laughs) So I said, nah, I don't want to do that. She said, no, when we get home, we're calling Scott. So I called Scott. You know what he said? That was quicker than most people. That was quicker than most people. We need to expect the enemy to come against our faith. We need to expect the enemy to put doubt in our mind about who we are in him. It's like the enemy comes into your mind and says, did God really say? Does that sound familiar? The enemy's game is an old game. Did God really say that you would be a person he will use for his glory? Look at your past, Dennis. Did God really say that you would be a person who would birth congregations? Look who you are, Dennis. Did God really say that you would be on the board of directors of a ministry in Israel where tens of thousands of young people are coming to faith through the ministry? Look at your past, Dennis. And you know what I have to say? Who will separate me from the love of God? But now we come to the title of the message in verse 36. As it is written, for your sake, please notice the capital Y. For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. You need to know where that verse comes from. Turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 44 and verse 22. Yet for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. To which we say, wow, isn't that exciting? Isn't that wonderful? The Old Testament and the New Testament come together in one verse. To which I say, look deeper. Because the context where we find this verse in the Brit Hadashah has to match the context where we find the verse in the Hebrew Scriptures. So I want to remind you of what Psalm 44 is all about. It was written by the sons of Korah. It was a prayer for God's deliverance of the people. Listen to some of the things in this psalm. Verse 1, We have heard with our ears, O God, what deeds you did in the days of our father. We know from history who you are, God. We've heard it. We've read about it. Verse 4. You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Act like who you are, God. And then verse 6. Why do we have to trust God? For I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. But you have saved us from our enemies and have put to shame those who have hated us. In God we boast all day long and praise your name forever. 
And then we come to the next word, but. But you have cast us off and put us to shame, and you do not go out with our armies. Do we serve a mean God? Heaven forbid. Do we serve a God who punishes us? Heaven forbid. We serve a God who loves us, but we also deserve a God who demands our love. And the Jewish people had fallen far away from loving their God. Look at verse 15. My dishonor is continually before me, and the shame of my face has covered me because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles, because of the enemy and the avenger. Keep your finger there and turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. And I want to bring out one very specific passage for you. Ezekiel 36 and verse 22. God speaking to Israel. I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, listen, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know. I'm sorry, I'm in verse 23. Verse 22, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And again in verse 32. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Psalm 44, verse 20. If we had forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a foreign God, would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, God, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. When the Lord dispersed Israel into the nations because of their idolatry, the very fact that they were no longer in the land that God promised them was profaning God's name. Do you understand this? The nations, if you will, said, if you're God's people, why aren't you in God's land? And God says, it's your idolatry that caused this dispersion, but I will bring you back, not for your sake, but for my name's sake. I think sometimes we lose a proper perspective of just who our God is. I think sometimes we forget that it's not about us. It's all about him. And he loved us so much that he equated friendship and intimacy with us to be equal than the offering of his own son. We need to remember this. And the Jewish people today and believers today, whether they be Jewish or not, when they don't act like believers in the world, they profane God's name. 
and tribulation comes and trials come and they come for his sake as well as for our conviction. I have a friend, Joe, a dear friend, Joe. He once said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, who needs enemies knocking at my door? I've got enough believers standing in line. How many of us have heard stories? Or how many of us have a real personal experience of a believer in God treating us absolutely horribly? A believer in God uh, uh, stealing our money uh, a believer of, uh, in God lying to us about business transactions, saying they'll be with us and then leaving us and forsaking us. What kind of a testimony is that of the believers of God and what kind of a testimony of the, is that of the God who we serve? We need to remember these things. We need to remember whose we are. How many here are parents? How do you feel when your kids act rotten? Do you feel sometimes it's a reflection on you? How must God feel? How must God feel? And before we make New Year's resolutions, we need to get this fact settled in our mind who he is and who we are in him, and that it's not about us and it's never been about us. It's about him and it's always been about him. Amen? Amen. Verse 37. Yet in all these things, what questions should you be asking? What things? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, Nakedness, peril, sword, self-doubt, frustration, anger, revenge. You fill in your own blank. In all these things, oh, please listen. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, you didn't understand that, did you? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We haven't just won today's battle. We've won an eternal battle. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than through him and dear ones, his love is his death, and his death is our life. Why? Because he's not in the grave anymore, and neither are we spiritually. For I am persuaded, Paul writes. Does anybody like me remember the old TV show, Wide World of Sports? Why did they ever take that off? I mean, every afternoon, every Saturday afternoon, 4.30 in the afternoon, there I was in front of the television. Oh, by the way, I would actually have to walk up to the television and turn it on and then, you know, change the channel manually. Anybody, you know, you remember that. Bringing you the wide world of sports, the thrill of victory. 
That's what this is. Chapter 9, verse 1 is the agony of defeat. We'll get to that in about a month. This is the thrill of victory. Why aren't we thrilled? Why do we walk around like the rest of the world? Why is our witness a ho-hum witness? We should be absolutely, outrageously, uncontrollably thrilled. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I'm persuaded neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Oh, at this point, I thought everybody would be jumping up and down. Oh, well. Maybe you're jumping up and down in your hearts. God's love is Messiah. I never thought about it that way before until this week. It's not that just that in God's love, he sent Messiah. God's love is Messiah. And love has given us his life so that we might dwell with his father. We have a story to tell. And dear ones, it's not a story. I'm going to get on my pulpit now. It's not a story of how bad the Catholic Church has ruined Jewish faith and all this kind of stuff. Maybe true. It's not a story of this denomination versus that denomination. I do this, you do that, which one's better? No. You know what it's a story of? God's love. It's a story of hope. It's a story of power. It's a story of salvation. It's a story that we've been given to abide in so that we can invite other people to abide with us. It's not even our story. It's his story. Oh, by the way, next week will be a a message that's called uh, Son of David's New Year's Resolutions. (laughs) You better be ready for that one. Because we need to make Son of David's story his story. We need to make Son of David's love his love. We need to make Son of David's Messiah his Messiah. And we need to be unashamed and unafraid to tell about that to whoever God gives us to tell it to. And we need to do it proactively. Proactive. Positive and with action. Which doesn't mean, well, I'm just going to wait for someone to come and ask me about my faith. And then I guess I'll have something to say. Really? What are you going to say? Oh, yeah, well, God saved me. Happened when I was uh, 19 years old. Um, I, I just, I'm so glad he did. 
I was lost and now I'm found. I was hopeless and now I have hope. I was without love and now I'm loved. And not just by my wife and my children and my congregation. I'm loved by the one who created the entire creation. Oh, oh, by the way, do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, the God of creation? Have you met him? Now, some of us will say, that's really uncomfortable. To which I say, be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is not bad. It's just uncomfortable. Right? When's the last time you walked into a job interview for a brand new job that would give you a double increase in pay, or I mean a pay grade, you know, a jump in pay grade, and better office conditions? Were you uncomfortable walking into that interview? If you weren't, then you're not alive. We all have butterflies in that situation. But here's the question. Did you walk into the interview anyway? Of course you did. Why? Because of the benefits that that interview might have given you despite the uncomfortable nature of what was going on. The difference between that situation and sharing your faith is that you're walking into an uncomfortable situation not for the benefit that it might give you Oh, somebody fill in the sentence. But for the benefit, it might give someone else. That's what it's all about. Your salvation is not your possession. You have a fiduciary responsibility over it, which means you have to share it because that's how the kingdom grows. And that's the reminder we need to have. Son of David needs to be about kingdom growth. Not just congregational growth. Kingdom growth. Because when each one in this sanctuary this morning will share, plant a seed in somebody's life, if you sow abundantly, you will. But if you sow sparingly, you will. So why aren't we sowing abundantly? I don't want to offend my neighbor. Offend away. Just do it lovingly. I mean, what, what's your neighbor going to say to you? Let's say you've got a, uh, a secular Jewish neighbor. I say that because they're the toughest ones. The Orthodox don't get as mad as the secular. At least the Orthodox know what they're talking about. Oh, God, I shouldn't have said that. You go up to your secular Jewish neighbor, right? And you say, I know this may sound strange to you, but my house, my family, my wife and I, whatever, we pray for you. What's he going to say? Don't do that, you rotten neighbor. Maybe. And if he does, so what? (laughs) I mean, apparently you didn't have a friendly neighbor to begin with. You know what will normally happen? He'll look at you and go, what? We pray for you. What do you pray? We pray for health, happiness, and that you might have eternal life. And then while you're saying that, you're praying, please have him ask me what that means. (laughs) 
And they probably will. Health, have you? What do you mean eternal life? And this is what I say. Do you really want to know? (laughs) Because when you do that, you know they really want to know because you've just challenged them. Now, I, I have to admit, for me, it's probably a little more comfortable to do that than for a lot of you here. To which I say, too bad. You know how it got comfortable for me doing it? I've done it a lot. I used to play golf. This is before I came to faith. I was working in a food and beverage uh, a place in a country club. I was there at 6 o'clock in the morning. I was there at 12 o'clock at night. I had four hours off in the afternoon. I played nine holes of golf five days a week. I got really good at it. Do you know why? I did it five days a week. I haven't done it in 35 years. I went to one of these driving ranges. Boy, did I embarrass myself. Do you know why? I was out of practice. How many of you are out of practice sharing your faith? We're all seed sowers. Some of us have rye seeds. Some of us have wheat seeds. Some of us have Jewish seeds. Some of us have Gentile seeds. We all have seeds. They need to be planted. Because if you keep the seeds inside you, you know what you get? Rotten seeds. That's why we're likened to salt and a salt shaker. If you don't shake it out, the salt turns bad. You know what else turns bad? The shaker. I think I've used this example once before. Uh, my mother had one of those um, glass salt shakers. You know, they had, I think, six sides on it and a, the silver top on it. And I once saw one that was up on the top shelf that hadn't been used in a long time. The salt was still in it. It was brown. Guess what? So was the glass. How many of you want to be brown salt shakers? None of us do. Well, there's an easy way not to be one. Shake out your salt. Shake out your salt. Plant your seed. Ask God to give you opportunities to be seed planter. Now, it also doesn't mean that you go around thumping your Bible in everybody's face. Because it's not the Bible that saves people. It's the one who's spoken of in the Bible that saves people. And you know him. I hope. I hope. I desperately hope. Maybe you've forgotten him. He hasn't forgotten you. Maybe for a while you walked away from him. He never walked away from you. Maybe for a while you figured you could just get by on your own. He never laughed at you. (laughs) No, he let you try it out until hopefully you came to the end of yourself and said, I'm sorry, Lord, I need you desperately. And he says, it's all I wanted to hear. I want to be your God desperately. I know I'm ranting, I know I'm going on, but you you have to understand how, how important this is. We just came through a building campaign. You know what we need to have in 2019? A congregation campaign. 
we, and I'm including myself, we need to start acting like children of God. We need to start determining which voices we listen to and which voices we don't listen to. We need to start realizing who we are and whose we are. We need to start planting seeds, seeds of love, because that seed of love was planted in us so that we might have life. And we need to start planting so that we might have others come to faith as well. And so on this last Shabbat of 2018, the key word today is remember. Remember. Remember the price that was paid. Remember the love that was given. Remember the son that was sacrificed. Remember the position that you now have in the kingdom of God and the responsibility that goes along with that position. And just tell God thank you. I once sat down at a table for lunch with a very respected quote-unquote Christian author and apologist. And I was hoping he wouldn't ask me to say the blessing before the lunch because I was a little taken aback, a little embarrassed, a little overwhelmed by who I was sitting with. And he said, may I please pray for the meal? I said, sure. He said, Father God, thank you. In your son's name. Amen.